0: If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work.
1: For a long time, I would walk by an H&M and like roll my eyes (laughs) or like I would feel guilty if I went to a thrift store and bought a shirt that came from Zara and I'd be like, hope nobody sees my tag because they're going to think I shopped at Zara. Well, that's crazy.
0: What's a common struggle specifically for us eco and socially driven entrepreneurs and creatives that may prevent our passion projects from thriving? Why is it important for us to support huge corporations that may have a history of irresponsible practices? Why should we cheer them on and support them? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Now I want to take a moment to remind you that you can sign up to receive breezy and hopefully inspirational emails that I personally write, delivered to you every Sunday that includes highlights from the podcast. To sign up, you can head to greendreamer.com. Our guest today is a journalist, media strategist, podcast producer, and host of Spirit of 608. It's a podcast that I listen to myself and I love it. You should definitely check it out, especially if you find yourself at the intersection of fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech, which she summarizes with the word fest. We'll go deeper into this shortly because these are her areas of expertise. This was a really motivational and insightful conversation. I think you'll learn so much from this. So let's just get started. Beginning with what got her into the field of sustainability and eco-fashion, Green Dreamer, here's Lorraine Sanders.
1: So I come to all of this from a media background. I spent about... Oh, probably 12 plus years covering fashion. I was based in the San Francisco Bay Area for basically my entire post-college adult life until two years ago when I moved to Charlottesville, Virginia. But that's a whole other story. So I was based out in the Bay Area. I uh, was actually a reporter covering general interest stuff. Like I was covering homelessness in San Francisco and religion and, you know, a lot of things not related to fashion at all. But on the side, I really loved to shop from independent designers, and it was really important to me as a consumer to know where what I was buying came from, and I couldn't really find enough information about that uh, just for myself, and it was about the time that blogging was sort of becoming a thing. It was like 2006, like a million years ago, (laughs) and I started my own blog about independent fashion in San Francisco, and... I sort of grew that site and would publish events and, you know, things that were happening around town and pictures of people's little fashion shows and street fairs and stuff. And, um, editors that I was working with at publications, you know, completely on other stuff that had nothing to do with fashion, found out that I was writing this, you know, blog. And then soon I started to get asked more and more to cover fashion for publications. And so that kind of got me into Writing about fashion as a subject area. And then from there, the sustainability piece sort of followed in this weirdly organic way because in San Francisco, there's so much focus on innovation, right? And so many startups coming um, out in sort of the late 2000s and then on into, you know, between uh, 2010 and 2015 when all of this interest in tech and startups started to kind of like bounce back and revive and go gangbusters again, Um, a lot of them had a sort of ethical or sustainable or green, so to speak, component to them. I don't know if it's because they were coming out of California or, you know, if innovation just is, um, you know, just inexplicably tied to doing things in a more socially conscious way these days. But more and more and more, I began to learn about, you know, the better ways that it would be possible to do things in fashion. And um, I became very disgruntled with how uh, things were happening in a non-sustainable and unethical way in the fashion industry, you know, through my research in covering that space. And um, yeah, I just became like a big believer in it all. And, you know, it's funny, like when I look back to the independent fashion blog days way, way, way before, you know, I never really like thought, oh, I care like so much about sustainability. I mean, I wish I could say that I did, but I was really in it for different reasons, but it's all, there's like a common thread through it all for me, which is that I really care about where things came from and the story behind them. And, you know, I feel like that brings more meaning to the things in our lives when we know all of that information and sustainability and environmental responsibility are just, you know, perfect partners for that.
0: Yeah, so it really just started with your curiosity to learn more about uh, what goes on behind the scenes, where your clothes come from. And that's what led you to learning about all these issues in terms of sustainability.
1: Yeah. And, you know, also, I mean, honestly, I was trying to justify my shopping habit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was trying to be like, oh, yeah, if I could make this blog and then I'll have like, a reason to go to all these events. <laughs> right. I mean, it really, you know, I-, I love clothing and style. And yet I always felt really unsettled about like all of this crap that we see in stores. And so for me, a lot of this was, you know, solving a personal problem of my own and a kind of personal exploration into trying to like enjoy what I enjoy and love what I love, but to do it in a way that, you know, I could be cool with. Mm
0: -hmm. And what was one of those things you learned about sustainability in fashion that shocked you?
1: Well, I, you know, I was just blown away really in, you know, getting to research more and more, businesses and brands that like, even if they want it to be, you know, ethically responsible, socially responsible, sustainable, environmentally friendly, you know, in so many cases, they couldn't even do it if they tried. Because once you start drilling down into what's happening along a lot of uh, apparel brands supply chains, you know, you start talking about manufacturing overseas and it's all well and good to go to the factory that you are you know, partnered with to produce your clothing, which is actually a step above and beyond what the vast majority of brands do. But say you actually send someone from your company to this factory, and you watch what's happening. And you're, you know, you see that they have um, practices that you know, you believe are, are on the up and up. At the same time, you cannot verify where they're getting their materials from. So, you know, the supply chain is long and murky, and there's a huge gray area in it. And it's oftentimes unfair to blame, um, you know, manufacturers for not being able to give you information because they often can't get it from the people that they're sourcing things from. So it's just this whole convoluted mess. And it became very clear to me that, you know, we need to be doing things in a better way. And when I stumbled across brands that were doing things in a better way and taking a stand around that, I really got interested and motivated and just Um, they were the ones, you know, that I wanted to cover. And as a reporter, I developed a huge bias towards giving them more time and, and, you know, visibility than brands I thought were doing things in this kind of, you know, Hey, like we don't really care. We're not going to spend the time or the money or the resources to, to look at this more deeply.
0: Yeah. So today your work centers around FEST, which is a term you coined for fashion, entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. And this is also at the heart of Spirit of 608. Um, how did this come about? How did this come to life? Or was your blog back then Spirit of 608 already?
1: No. So that blog, many, many moons ago, um, <laughs> was called <laughs> SF Indie Fashion. But so Spirit of 608 um, is different. I started that in 2015. I think. And um, I really just fell in love with podcasting. And I also was looking for a way to cover more stories of businesses and entrepreneurs who were doing things in what I saw to be a positive way. Um, And I started the show to also not only elevate and highlight people doing things in a better way in the fashion industry, but also to provide content to keep the entrepreneurs who are working in this industry and working hard to build new brands and startups to keep them motivated and show them like, yeah, you can do this and it is possible. Um, And so, you know, when I was floating the concept around for the show to people that were going to come on and be guests, and actually I should say here that when I started my show, I recorded like 35 episodes before I even launched it. Um, and I don't know if it's the same advice that people get now when they're launching a podcast, but back then, you know, the advice was roll out as many episodes as you can quickly so that you can get a boost in iTunes and gain more organic traffic. So I was trying to be really strategic about it. But when you go out to people before you even have a show, you're like, hey, I got to explain to you why I'm doing this and what it is and what it's going to be. And I kept saying, you know, we're going to be talking about, The intersection of fashion, sustainability, tech, entrepreneurship, and then you know, eventually over time, it just settled into fashion entrepreneurship, sustainability, and tech. And one day, as I was sending an email, like the one millionth email to somebody asking them to be on the show pre-launch, I was just kind of like staring into my computer as you start to kind of glaze over after a long day, and I realized that those words were the perfect acronym, which is FEST. And given that a lot of my listeners are women who kind of have that Bohemian spirit and, you know, the whole festival thing, I was like, ah, this makes perfect sense. So that's how I came to call it that.
0: Yeah. And what has been your biggest challenge in growing your platform for Spirit of 608? Wow. Biggest challenge. I mean, there's
1: so many challenges in growing anything from nothing, right? And I guess for me, it's always a constant battle or I don't know if it's a battle, but like I'm constantly trying to figure out, okay, there's 10 things I could do today or this hour or this week, but which ones am I going to pick and put my time and my energy into? Because I only have a finite amount of, you know, resources in terms of time and budget and, you know, just mental energy. So what am I going to choose and are those going to be the right choices? And so for me, that's that's something that, you know, I'm kind of deal with and grapple with every day. And I hope I'm making the right choices. But you know, there are times when I realize that I've spent a lot of time on something that didn't move the business forward in the way that I thought it was going to. And you know, you have to learn from those experiences and then continue to to, to try
0: again. Yeah. And what have you found to be most helpful in terms of more effective time management?
1: Oh, gosh, well, I'm like a huge productivity tool nerd. <laughs> but I would caution anybody who's thinking about diving into the world of productivity tools and apps. And, you know, I love, I love an automation, like if I can set something up that does something without me having to have my hands on it, I love it. But you have to first know exactly what you need to have happen in your business before you start adding all these automations, because you can end up adding a bunch of stuff that you don't need. And then it's just, you know, just spinning your wheels for for no reason. But I found that you have to get really strategic about, like, everything that needs to happen. And then, you know, who needs to do it and why it's happening and how does that come back to the business and is it really important and valuable and have this sort of ongoing process of, um, you know, getting rid of things in your business that don't really serve, Um, it and aren't pushing it forward. And also thinking really strategically about how you can most efficiently accomplish the things that need to be done on a daily and weekly basis.
0: For sure. And after working with so many women in Fest, what are some common mistakes you think a lot of us eco creatives and entrepreneurs make when we're trying to build out our public presence? Hmm.
1: Well, so I spend a lot of time talking to Um, entrepreneurs, particularly female founders who are hoping to bring their amazing concepts into the world. And they want to get, um, you know, I I mean, I, I work with them primarily on thought leadership, and then also getting into the media, and getting press coverage. And a lot of times, um, one of the basic mistakes is not starting early, early enough. And a lot of people feel like they can't start building their relationships with members of the media until everything about their brand is perfect. But then if you wait until a week before your launch, or even a month before your launch, or your collection is debuting, or whatever that media moment is in your business, it's almost too late to gather, you know, authentic attention for it from people that have never heard of you before. So I often, you know, urge people to start you know, four months at least in advance trying to build the foundation of their media strategy, you know, before they have any kind of ask that they think that they're going to be going out to the media with. Um, And then a second thing that I see, you know, really often, and this is a hard one, because I really respect people that are heads down on their business. um, But you know, visibility, it's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially female founders, to feel justified in putting themselves out there in a public way and promoting what they're doing and having their voice be heard, whether it's on a panel or writing um, content for, you know, other websites, guest posting on places like other blogs or writing on Medium or going out and trying to get speaking um, opportunities. And I even have had a female entrepreneur say to me in the past that like, you know, hey, I thought my team would feel like I wasn't working hard enough if I'm running around at events, networking and getting a bunch of attention for myself. And you really do as a founder of a you know socially responsible brand, and especially one that's smaller, that's a startup, and has a small team, you have to go out and be the face and be visible and be heard. And I think it's something that's really hard for people to do. And so I really, from the sidelines, sit there and push people really hard because It feels one way if it's you doing it, but from the outsider's perspective, I think a lot of people really respect and connect with brands when the leader, the leadership of that brand is out in public and spreading the message and being really an evangelist for what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Do you think this is more about a lack of confidence or a lack of understanding of how to better tell this brand story is like having a human behind it?
1: You know, I don't know if it's lack of confidence at all, because most female founders that I know are extremely competent. Um, They're very solid, determined, motivated people. But in our society, women have not been rewarded for standing up and making themselves visible. I mean, over the course of history, it's just not something that's built into our social fabric in a way that it is for men. And so, you know, I don't let that get me angry and ticked off. But I do think that it's a mindset problem where a lot of us, what we think of as hard work and respectable work and um, valuable in a business as women is just the grind and the focus and being behind the scenes and making things happen. And if you shift it a little bit and see what putting yourself out there can do for your business and for your mission, I think it can come back to you in really, really positive ways. And it, it's it's not easy to do, though. I mean, it's, it's hard for a lot of people. Um, a second thing I'll say is that another piece of evidence for this and why I get so bullish about it is that, you know, I've been shocked uh, in a number of cases where, I mean, I've asked people to come on to my podcast and I've had them say no because they are too hesitant to speak because they're afraid that what they say is going to be misconstrued or that, you know, they're not going to say it right and people are going to get the wrong impression of them. Or there's just like a lot of anxiety around getting up in front of people and speaking. And that is doubly, you know, a concern for public speaking where you're actually like in front of people physically and not just your voice. So I encourage people to do it just for the sake of practice, too, because it really does get easier over time.
0: And when you think about women who you've worked with or just have seen around in fest who are really thriving, what do you think they have in common?
1: Wow. Well, so I always come back to the mindset piece, and I—it's just crazy to me. Like, I am the least, my history, like, least woo woo, least like, I, you know, used to like laugh about meditation. I was completely (laughs) like on the other, cynical, like, super cynical side of things. Um, for a long time and then when I started the podcast I you know obviously began interviewing all these entrepreneurs and I've interviewed hundreds of them to this point and i got to tell you the thing is that it's like the common thread of fest founders that are making it happen and then founders in general is this thing inside of them that tells them that they are going to figure it out like they're not delusionally positive like my idea is perfect and I'm going to You know, definitely succeed. They're like, I'm going to figure this out. It's a matter of, you know, how and when, not if. And then on top of that, they just keep going. Like they don't let things stop them. They might, you know, have a setback and something that doesn't go their way, but they're very resilient and they've worked really hard to be that resilient. They're not just naturally these resilient, powerful people that got lucky in the genetic lottery. They've spent the time to get their head in the game in the right way. And that helps them stay in the game. And, you know, I I just, I've always been very flirt. I'm like, these women, they've got this sort of inner um, grounding that is what I think successful entrepreneurs, you know, need to have above all else.
0: For sure. And in addition to this, uh, after having talked to so many amazing women on your podcast, what have you personally learned from your guests that maybe you weren't so aware of beforehand? Hmm.
1: One of the things that I have learned is just tools and books and information. You know, in our world today, it's so easy to get in this silo of what we're focused on and have blinders on and not really see what other people are doing sometimes. And for entrepreneurs especially, I think it can be hugely valuable to just hear like what like platform are they using to manage this aspect of their business or um, what book on Audible did they download last week that kept them feeling, you know, motivated? Or what podcast are they listening to? Or, you know, um, do they meditate? What is their day like? Like, just all of that information and really hearing other people's approaches, I think has helped me immensely in picking and choosing what's going to work for me. Um, And then, you know, the other thing that I have to say that keeps coming back constantly is how entrepreneurs that I respect oftentimes are, I don't know, they amaze me with how they they put themselves out there and they follow up on putting themselves out there in ways that I'm often afraid to do. And hearing them do it and then hearing their success stories from that, it makes me motivated to try to do a little bit more of those things that are really hard for me to do personally.
0: Mm -hmm. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, looking at the big picture of the place of sustainability in our world. How do you think we can tell a more powerful story around sustainability? And like, what's what's missing from how we're getting this message across right now?
1: What's missing? Well, I'll tell you one thing that may be somewhat controversial that's been on my mind recently. And it's that, you know, sustainability and the conversation around it has long been a very elitist thing. I mean, it's something that oftentimes is sort of the domain of, wealthier privileged people who can afford to buy the products that are more costly that are made by companies that are you know catering to this audience. And that's all well and good. but I think we're finally waking up and seeing how major brands that have been vilified uh, in the media and by consumers who are part of this slow fashion conscious consumerism movements and everything those big brands for better or for worse, are likely to be the ones that truly shift real fundamental systemic change and you know create that change in supply chains globally. So I think you know for a long time I was like you know like I would walk by an H&M and like roll my eyes <laughs> or like I would like feel guilty if I went to a thrift store and bought a shirt that came from Zara and I'd be like hope nobody sees my tags they're going to think I shopped at Zara. Well, that's crazy. OK, I've reformed myself and realized that, like, no, I mean, supporting some of these bigger brands that are trying to make real changes, there's a lot to be said for that. And um, I think we all need to be looking at the complexity of these issues and not thinking that by having a very simplistic view, like I'm only going to shop this or I'm only going to do that is going to really change the problem. You know, it's kind of like when people say, like, don't flush your toilet, you know, extra times a day and it's going to like save the, water. you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. What we really need to do is like help funds, like affordable desalination, you know, technology, you know what I mean? So I think that you need to think about that around fashion and apparel as well.
0: For sure. So it's less about just blindly attacking people and more about understanding, you know, what the issues are and then trying to support them and be more collaborative.
1: Yes, definitely. And, um, and also, you know, one of my favorite quotes from a Woman that I interviewed named Mary Going, who's an entrepreneur and a badass lady. Um, she said to me it, when I interviewed her, she said, Look, don't oversimplify complicated things. And it's always stuck with me because I think it's so easy to have a tendency to take a stand, and taking a stand is great, but like just to be like, This is the way, and this is the thing, and this is what we should all believe, and this is the answer. But a lot of this stuff, especially when you're talking about sustainability and things that affect workers and the environment and they, you know, involve different countries and all kinds of business regulations. It's extremely complicated. And so we all have to look at it, yes, with the hope that we can be part of change going forward, but with the full knowledge of the complexity that we're up against, and really just try to understand it as best we can.
0: I feel like it's this constant push and pull between simplifying things, because as humans, we like to simplify things just to make sense of the world, but then also allowing for sustainability to remain complex as it is. Yeah, I agree. Well, what do you think the world needs most today to help us accelerate towards sustainability with all of these things in mind?
1: Gosh, what does the world need most? Well, we need more safety and regulations for workers. And I think that the apparel industry could take a lot of um, direction and, you know, find a lot of inspiration in what's happening with food. Um, I think the slow food movement is one that, you know, it tends to kind of, a lot of things that happen in the food industry seem to be sort of trickling over to fashion in and, and various different ways. But for example, um, there, and those of you who are listening who know more about the food industry than I do will probably know what I'm talking about here, but you know, there's a movement in the food landscape to make it um, give incentives to big brands to um, make sure that the suppliers of their food have ethical practices for their workers. And if they don't, um, then, you know, the big, huge brands that basically control the industry will no longer work with those suppliers. And so it all trickles down to, you know, the the workers in the fields and they have safer working conditions because there's a business interest for the national and multinational corporations in, you know, maintaining the safety. So I think that we need to have practices like that in place for people in factories and in the manufacturing side and even like the growing side of the crops that lead to the textiles that we have. And through that, and I know you're asking me about sustainability and I'm talking about workers, but when you have safe, healthy working environments, and those environments are thriving, I think it makes it a lot easier for companies to make a choice to work with a factory that is doing things differently. Oftentimes, you also don't find um, real ethical working practices aligned with like really disgusting environmental practices, you know, usually all of that stuff sort of um the ethos of it you know goes across the board and so i think that that's really the first place that we need to start and then um hopefully there'll be more innovations around better textiles and textile recycling as well that's something i'd really really like to see happen in the the coming uh decade or two
0: so again it's about learning from other industries what they're doing and going forward with that yeah and and
1: i guess i mean you know the financial incentive i think has to be there for businesses to change, you know, multinational businesses like the big ones, they they need a financial incentive to, quote unquote, do the right thing. So I would love to see more examples of of that um, happening.
0: Yeah. And well, I want to say thank you because you've been a huge inspiration for me. I am an avid listener of your podcast and I'd love to learn, you know, after all these years, what are you most proud of having accomplished either personally or professionally for sustainability?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I've Nobody's ever <laughs> asked me that. First of all, thank you for listening to the show. I mean, it's really wonderful. I love getting to connect with people that, you know, I've kind of met through the show. So that's been really the most powerful thing to me. It's how, you know, you can go and do something and you don't know if people are going to listen. And then you find mm. that um, it just enhances your own life. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I feel like I'm getting away with something because I get to talk to all of these people that inspire me. And that's what I think a lot of listeners don't get about it is that, you know, so often in life, you put out into the world what you need the most. And I, you know, put out this show, but I need the inspiration and motivation just as much as anybody else. And, you know, it keeps me going. So I guess that's the main accomplishment. And then other things just like, you know, it's really awesome to be able to uh, have a business where it's yours and you can live where you want and you don't have to do anything that anybody else is asking you to do, of course, you have a ton on your plate, you can't really take a vacation, and you have somewhat of a, like <laughs> unstable financial, uh, you know, you don't have a salary, but all of that stuff is completely worth it to me, given that I can live the life and the lifestyle that I want to.
0: Yeah, and if you were to boil everything you learned down to one sentence in terms of how you made these things happen for yourself, what would that be? <laughs> crazy. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Um, no, you know, I, I, I have a little, um, Instagram meme that I put up every once in a while that says never settle. And I'm somebody that is not like biologically capable of doing something that I really, truly don't want to do. So I don't think I had any other choice. Like this was what I had to do. And I, I don't know, I don't have a plan B. You know, I just this was kind of what happened and I haven't fought it and I've gone with it. And here I am.
0: Yeah. Listen to your intuition.
1: I know. Well, sometimes my intuition is
0: a little (laughs) crazy, but I try to listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are some next steps for you that uh, we can look forward to? We're actually,
1: you know, we're planning the next phase of the spirit of 608. So we've gotten up to um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we're going to be at least in the, you know, 140s in terms of our episodes when this goes live. And, you know, it's time to evaluate and look for, you know, forward and to see what we're going to do with the show and where it's going to go. You know, when I started it, I really thought it was going to be um, something that people from the tech community were going to gravitate towards and it's turned into much more of an ethical fashion sustainability show, you know, much to my, um, you know, like happiness. And I'm thrilled about that. And I'm trying to look into what's going to be happening next with that. And hopefully the listeners are going to help me plan that. So we're, you know, having fun figuring out all that stuff. We've got a lot of stuff going on with Prestope by spirit of Six O Eight, which is our sister business where we help founders get the word out about their ethical and socially responsible brands. So if anyone wants to see what we're doing, you can find us on instagram that's probably the best place
0: that's actually my next question is where can we check your workout where should we follow you so we have spirit
1: of 608.com and i'm on instagram spirit of 608 social media is all spirit of 608 and then our sister site is press dope as in the straight dope (laughs) d-o-p-e.com and um so we have both of those and i hope you will come and check us out and Let us know what kind of stuff would help you build your brands because that's really what we're trying to do is keep people that are building ethical businesses going and helping them get to resources that will help their businesses grow because we need more businesses doing things the right way.
0: Before we go into our final five tips for you, I just wanted to say if you're interested in contributing expert tips for our future Bloom Tuesday mini episodes, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at hello at greendreamer.com with a little background of your work. What I love about sustainability is that there are so many different facets to it and everybody, including you, has a unique perspective and set of knowledge that nobody else has. I look forward to getting an opportunity to learn more from you. Again, feel welcome to reach me at hello at greendreamer.com. And now on to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What's one publication or social media you follow for inspiration?
1: I follow a lot of publications. I'm going to say my favorite media outlet is Fast Company. The reason? They just do. Okay, first of all most people probably don't care about this, but their reporting is legit. They actually pay their writers well. And you can believe that the majority of what you find in there is true and fact checked and like, you can believe it, which isn't the case with all other like business publications. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's believable. You can trust them.
0: Yeah. And what do you say to yourself to stay motivated? Keep going. What's a must do for your health?
1: Yoga. I'm a nut. I'm like a. I'm one of these people that never thought they would ever be into yoga, and here I am. I'm like addicted to it, I'm completely, <laughs> 100% addicted to hot, like hot yoga, like four or five times a week.
0: Mm-hmm. What's a simple action we can take for our planet's health this week?
1: Compost. I don't know. I think everyone should compost if they can. Is that simple? Maybe composting isn't simple. Simple would be look at the tag on your clothes. Be aware of where it was made, and think about the supply chain. Think about where that item that is on your body came from. And just be be aware of that as you go through your life. Maybe don't change anything, but just start by thinking about where these things have come from and how they got to you.
0: And what makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? I am most hopeful for our planet because I see so many female entrepreneurs.
1: I mean, no offense to guys. You guys are great, too. I love guys. (laughs) But the women with more economic power... I believe is going to fundamentally change the way that the world functions, you know, on a massive scale. And so I am hopeful that I see more and more women taking the plunge, realizing the opportunities that are out there to them, starting their own businesses and doing things with ethical and socially responsible missions. Mm
0: -hmm. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Keep going with what you're working on and never give up. never give up green dreamer you got this here are my two key takeaways number one it's easy to just attack and boycott big corporations that might be worsening a lot of our environmental and social issues and i think there definitely is a place for that sometimes we really just have to call people and companies out for what they're not taking responsibility for that said a lot of companies actually are working on ways to improve behind the scenes that we just can't see from the outside and at the end of the day, when these big corporations make the tiniest positive changes, it really means huge positive changes just because of the scale of their work. So, this could just be my personality, maybe I'm just too nice. I'm personally huge on inspiring and encouraging positive changes in incremental and positive ways. And, you know, meeting people and companies just exactly right where they are and supporting them to take that one next step forward. I come from this perspective also because when I studied behavioral psychology we learned that encouraging people to do better is much more effective in actually inspiring change than just slamming people for their mistakes. But again, different things work for different people so uh, maybe we just have to go forward in all different sorts of approaches. Number two, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Share your story, your inspirations, your challenges, your limitations. People can connect better with your work, your brand, when they understand where you're coming from and see you and your work as just being human and relatable and an ongoing work in progress. So, you know, just socializing, networking, speaking, and sharing your journey can be a powerful way to strengthen your work. Um, like these things might not sound like they're work, but it actually can go a long way in terms of strengthening your message. And there, that's a wrap for this episode. You can find the show notes at greendreamer.com slash 31 and follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. Um, and as always, feel welcome to email me at hello at greendreamer.com with any feedback on how I can further improve this show to be most helpful to you. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.